In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. In the 1950s, social scientists were looking for a replacement for spanking, and they came up with a program called Time Out. Time Out is a, uh, what they call a negative um, reinforcement, so you're removing something. So if a child is upset over a toy, the toy is removed. If the child is in a situation of upset, the child is removed from the situation. And uh, much of the time, uh, it's become so popular, uh, it becomes a part of our imagination, and we start to think that uh, what the Lord is doing is with us practicing a kind of time out. Indeed, uh, the Lord is our Father. He is acting as our Father, and this is His desire to be our Father. His desire is to be in a relationship of a father to a child. He wants to dwell with us, he wants to live with us, he wants to abide with us, he wants to be in that kind of a close relationship with us. This is God's plan, and his plan has not been deterred. He says, um, I would have thought that you would call me my father and would not turn from following me. This is God's plan, that we would follow him as his children. And when we leave the ways of God, when we leave his commandments, when we start to follow other things, the devices and desires of our hearts, that, that fleshly part of ourselves where we get a taste for things that we shouldn't have a taste for, and we start to follow those things, the Lord compares that to adultery. We can all relate to the kind of heartbreak and the torment that happens when somebody that we're deeply in love with and committed to breaks that trust and they break that kind of a relationship it feels like an adultery. We feel um, this horrible breakage. And this is how the Lord says he feels when we leave him, when we stop following him as his children. He says it's like you've been um, dealt with treacherously um, by a treacherous wife. And so the Lord's desire is to heal this relationship, right? Our desire, our natural place, when we see this kind of relationship, is punishment. We want to get back at the person. We want to punish them. We want to to make them hurt the way that we hurt. This is not God's response. God's response is to heal, is to bring us even closer to him. He says, I will heal your faithfulness. I will heal your faithlessness. Excuse me, faithlessness, right? He says, truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. So he's going to heal that faithlessness and he's going to bring us back in his own person. And he calls for circumcision but he doesn't call for the circumcision of, of the boy child right of the cutting away of the foreskin of the penis he says that this is a circumcision of the heart this is us cutting away that that fleshiness of our hearts where we desire the things that we're not supposed to desire right and he says cut those things away cut away those desires those things that are leading you from me right and the lord um, says that if you return to me um, if you remove these detestable things from, um, from your, my presence, um, then he says that I will once again be your father and we will be in that close relationship. So this is the desire of the Lord to bring us back. And he promises this and he fulfills it in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is healing that faithlessness. And he does this by promising the gospel of God. What is the gospel of God? It's what I just described. It's this good news of God. The good news is he sees our faithlessness. 
He sees our adultery and he would heal it. He would bring us back into closeness. This is the gospel. This is the good news that he's the one who's going to repair this relationship. He's not waiting for us to do what's right. He's not waiting for us to figure it out. He's come and become flesh and he is the one who is healing this relationship. This is the good news. And he's healing it by bringing us into this relationship that he calls a kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is this place where God is king, where he is the one that sets the standard. He is the one that talks about righteousness, that shows us the ways. And we are going to come into this kingdom. We're going to learn how to live in this new kingdom. None of us are born into this kingdom. We all are brought in through baptism. We're all brought in through this circumcision of the heart by cutting things away. We are all adopted. Everybody in God's family are adopted. We are all brought in and made um, to live in this family and shown how to live according to the ways of God, according to the ways of our Father. He sets the rules for living, and we come into this obedient submission with him. And this process is called repentance. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So now he says, the good news is I've come I'm bringing you into this kingdom, and you're going to come into this kingdom through repentance and belief. What does this mean? Repentance, as I've shown you before, is a very complex theological concept. Are you ready? It's very complex, right? So I was going after the things of my heart, right, the things that I was enslaved to, my sin, and then I realized, oh, this is leading to heartbreak. It's leading to disease. It's leading to anger. It's leading to strife. It's leading to sorrow. It's leading to all the problems in my life. Gee, maybe I should look around and try to live another way. What other way could I live in? Oh, there's the ways of God. I'll go that way. You see how complex that is? That's repentance. I was doing the things that brought sin and death, and then I realized, oh, I should do the things that bring life. I'll follow God. That's repentance. Does that mean that we save ourselves? No, that's ridiculous. Right? God saves us so that we can live according to his ways. This is repentance. And he says we have to believe. Now what does this mean? That we think that there is a God, that we think that Jesus is the Savior, that we say these words in the creed? Is that what it means? Sometimes people get all cut up in this. How many Americans believe in God, right? They take polls and think that it means something. It means nothing. Satan believes in God. The demons believe that Jesus is the Christ. What does it get them? Nothing. They know who he is. This belief is the belief of following. He says, follow me. And what do Simon and Andrew and James and John do? They follow him. That's belief. Do you see again how complex that concept is? He says, follow me, and they follow him. They had been with their family. They had been doing the family business. Is there anything wrong with that? Of course not. Of course not, but we all have to leave, right, our family of birth to enter into the kingdom of God. We all have to leave behind those things of the world, and we have to follow the things of God. And it requires sacrifice, and it requires hardship, and it requires discipline, and it requires all these things, right? Was it easy for Simon and Andrew and James and John to leave their fathers and their boats and their nets? Not a bit. Not a bit, but what choice did they have? Because he is offering eternal life. He is offering that relationship with God as our Father. And it's a life that St. Paul describes as one of slavery. 
Isn't that exciting? To become slaves? He says that we become bond servants of Christ, slaves of Christ. I wonder that we don't see this on bumper stickers. We don't see people wearing t-shirts, bond servant of Christ, right? That word was no more popular in St. Paul's day than it is in ours. It's a horrible, offensive word. And no free man heard the word come and become a slave, become a bond servant would say, oh, that sounds like a good plan. No, they would hear that and say, why would I want that? Why would I adopt that? Why would I agree to that? But to be a bondservant of Christ is to be freer than we've ever been before. He says that we are neither circumcised nor uncircumcised, but we are called to keep the commandments of God. He says, first of all, that we are freedmen of the Lord. If we are bondservants in this flesh, we become freedmen of the Lord. What does that mean? to be free in God. What does it mean to have the freedom of God? That means that we are not restricted by the slavery of this world. How do people get into slavery in their lives today? They start to follow their friends, to do what their friends think that looks good. They are concerned about how their friends see them. They're looking at the eyes of their friends to see, um, do they like what I'm doing? Do they like the way that I'm talking? Do they like the way that I'm acting? And they follow that. They become slaves of their friends. People become slaves of their families. They're concerned, how are they going to look at me? How are they going to think of me? How are they going to react to me? And we become servants of the reactions of our family. We look at society. We look at our coworkers. We go into debt. We take jobs where we're slaves to those jobs because we, we have so much debt that we can't get out from underneath it. We can't make free choices in our lives because of this burden of slavery that we've chosen for ourselves. There's lots of ways in this life that we become slaves and we're not free to act and to follow the ways of God. We're not free to maneuver and to be free in our daily living according to the ways of God. And that kind of freedom requires discipline, right? It requires discipline. Andre Agassi, my childhood hero, was a free man on the tennis court. How did he become free on the tennis court? By just doing whatever he wanted? No, he learned the rules and he internalized them and he practiced and he was able to place the tennis ball anywhere he wanted on the court. Within a, a, a half of an inch, he could sit that, put that tennis ball. Much freer on the tennis court than me. How? By just following the devices and desires of his heart? No, by having discipline and by following the ways of the game. When we follow the ways of this game, which is the life of the kingdom of God, we become free. And then he says we become a bondservant of Christ. So what does that mean, that we become slaves of Christ? That means that we carry the burden of others. When you watch parents come in like I do into the, into the church, right? They look like beasts of burden, don't they? The children walk in, hands-free, maybe a toy, some beautiful outfit. And what do the parents look like? Huh? Backpacks, heavy cases, Right? If you were an alien to come to the world and you were to say who was the master and who was the slave in that relationship, what would you think? <laughs> right? When we get up in the middle of the night to feed them, when we get up in the middle of the night to hold their heads over the toilet, right? Who is the master and who is the slave in that situation? We become slaves. How? Through love. Through love. And there is nothing better than to become that kind of a servant through love. And that is how we are called to become bond servants of Christ, that we would serve those who are in need, who cannot do for themselves, 
Why? Out of our love for them. Because our Father so loved us. And while the Lord removed the nation of Israel from the promised land, and he may for a season remove us from things that we think are good, he never removes us from himself. And this is where parents get time out so wrong. Because we say to them, go away until you can control your emotions and your behavior. We might as well say, go outside and learn how to ride your bike and come back. They need our help. We never send them away from our presence in the same way that our Father never sends us away. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He dwells in our hearts. He will never remove us from his presence. We are the only ones who can do that. And may we always choose him. May we always choose his Holy Spirit and to dwell with him as his children, at his feet, in his kingdom, to receive his love. Amen.